It's coming. All right. Well, this week we have a missionary. Uh, so there will be a uh, joint Sunday school class in the Glory Room, Pastor's uh, Sunday School. Uh, Justin Culp is working with a group called Pioneers out of Kansas City. And uh, they minister to Muslims. He was a missionary in the Sudan for 12 years. And uh, they came back because there wasn't any ants to put in their oatmeal or something. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I don't know if he's going back or if he's working with this group and staying here. But uh, he'll be sharing with us during Sunday school and then uh, all set. Okay, great. And then he'll be preaching for Sunday morning also. So welcome those of you that are joining from Facebook Live. Tonight we are in the uh, Complete Green Letters Chapter 50, Reckoning in Philippians 3.10. Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed unto his death. Yes, there we go. Uh, So... Let's start with a word of prayer, and we will begin. Father, we thank you this evening for your love, for your care, for the opportunity to come together once again and look into your word. And as we do so, we ask that you would guide and direct us in our understanding of these things. And Father, that you would give us grace that we might uh, be able to be putting these things into practice and uh, becoming uh, that which you have saved us to be, a person that Uh, glorifies you and worships you in all that we say and do in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, uh, you know, we've talked about the reckoning uh, a few different ways over the last several weeks. And uh, in in order to start uh, Philippians 3.10, I I felt as though we needed to go back and and cover the reckoning again. Uh, Notice uh, what we are reckoning. Uh, Letter A, We are reckoning ourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Uh, This is the concept of a legal matter. Sin is no longer your master. Uh, According to uh, chapter 6 and verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its desires. Uh, We are so accustomed to listening to sin that when we get saved, It's not long before we're listening. We don't understand legally because of Christ's death, and we've been associated with his death, baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, and we're associated with his death, burial, and resurrection, that sin is not our master anymore. We do not have to listen. But there's also a practical side to that legal matter. Uh, Number two there, the old man is dead. Now, Pastor talked a little bit about this last week in that the author seems to indicate that the old man is crucified but not dead. And the, the problem with that is if he's not dead, you were married to him. You were united with him. And according to Romans chapter 7, he has to die in order for you to be united to another. So he's got to be dead. Where the issue is there is we think the author is confusing the old man with the flesh. Is the flesh dead? Don't we wish? It's still very much alive. Romans 7 is all about that. The law of sin in our members. It's not I, the new creature, that sins now. It is sin that dwells in me. Now, obviously, you can talk about the choices that I make that ultimately bring me to the downfall 
Uh, James chapter 1 talks about that. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed and that kind of thing. But the reality is, is you are a new creature. Not only that, but we'll see tonight that that new creature cannot sin. Okay? So we are, the practical side of the legal matter is that uh, the old man is dead so that you can be united to another. Let me read uh, chapter 7, verses 1 to 4. Since I am speaking to those who understand the law, brothers, you are, uh, are you unaware that the law has authority over someone as long as he lives? For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. So then, if she gives herself to another man while the husband is living, he might be crucified, but he's still alive, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. Then if she gives herself to another man, she is not an adulteress. Therefore, my brothers, you also were put to death in relation to the law through the crucified body of the Messiah, so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we may bear fruit for God. So the practical side of things is, since sin is no longer your master, uh, you have been united with Christ, and uh, you're supposed to reckon that to be true. Uh, you're dead indeed to sin. Uh, the second half of what we're supposed to reckon ourselves to is we are alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, the legal matter, you are now a slave of righteousness. According to uh, Romans 6.18, it says, and having been liberated from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. Now, one could say that you become a slave to God. In fact, every time Paul says, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. Most of your Bibles say a servant or a bondservant. The word doulos means slave. It doesn't mean bondservant. That's the guy that he's uh, sold himself into slavery because of finances, his cousin or whatever paid his bills, and now he has to work it off. And somewhere in Russia, he says, you know, I like this guy so much, I just want to be his for the rest of uh, my life. So they go before the elders, he puts his ear up against the post, and they drive the all through there. And from that time on, he belongs to that master. That's a bond servant. Okay? A servant, not a bond servant, but a servant, that's someone who has a position whereby they serve. And then at nighttime, they go home and do their thing. Uh, it's a big difference than a slave, okay? Uh, so the legal matter here, you're alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are now slaves of righteousness. The practical matter. First of all, we were made as new creatures. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Romans 6 talks about you being baptized into his death. Uh, you were baptized into his burial and into his resurrection when you were baptized into Christ. Uh, so anyone that is born again has been baptized into Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Well, what is this new creature? Well, in Ephesians 4.24, it says, And that you put on the new man, 
Now, the reality is, is Paul's already explained that you are a new creature, and now you're supposed to put on the conduct of the new man, okay? Because the new man's already there, uh, which was created. Now, here's the description of the new man. It was created according to God. Some versions say after God. And here's what it looks like. In true righteousness and holiness. So the new creature that is in us, the fact that we've been born again, is righteous and holy. That's one of the reasons why in Ephesians 1.6 it says that uh, to the praise of the glory of His grace, whereby He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Uh, listening to the Bible uh, chronologically this year. So we went uh, chapters 1 through 11, I think it was, in uh, Genesis, and then we went over to Job. And listening to Job talk, it's amazing to me how much Job understood of New Testament theology. <laughs> you know, uh, after my flesh is gone, I am going to stand before the Lord and see Him with my eyes. I mean, that's chapter 19. Kind of like, where do you get that idea? Because Job is probably the first book written in the Bible. Okay, where did he get that idea that he was going to be resurrected and stand before the Lord? But uh, uh, I, I brought Job up for a reason. I can't think of what it is now. <laughs> but um, uh, notice in 1 John 3, 9, whoever has been born of God, this new part of us that is righteous and holy, uh, does not sin. Now, we already know from Romans chapter 7 that it's no longer I who sin, but sin that dwells in me. Why does he say that? I don't know about you, but when I sin, I'm pretty sure I was there. You know what I mean? I thought it's always a great excuse. It was sin. It wasn't me. You know, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Rocket Man, but here's a guy that, it wasn't me. That was his favorite line in the movie, you know, and every time he destroyed something because he was a klutz, it wasn't me. You know, he blamed somebody else. And it's kind of like, I can just see Paul saying, it wasn't me, it was sin. Well, no, he's saying, it wasn't me, the new creature. Uh, if we walk in the spirit, the new creature is what you see. If we walk in the flesh, the sin, the law of sin in your members is what we see. So it wasn't me, the new creature, Okay, because that part does not sin. Why? First John 3, 9, for his seed remains in him. Whose seed? The God's seed remains in him. Who? The person that's been born of God. Okay, and uh, he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Well, the reason why he can't sin is because this creation is truly righteous and holy, just like God. Oh, wow. Okay, so the practical matter is we are new creatures. And on top of that, we have been given his spirit so that we might live unto God. Uh, Romans 8, 2. Uh, Romans 8, 1. Uh, if you follow the argument that Paul is presenting in Romans 7, he comes to the conclusion at the end of Romans 7, I'm going to sin as long as I'm in this body. Uh, with my mind, I'm going to serve the law of Christ. With my flesh, the law of sin. Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because it's already been paid for. And then he moves on to chapter, I mean, uh, verse 2, where he says, 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus delivers me, frees me from the law of sin and death. Why did I sin in Romans chapter 7? There's a law of sin in this body. And even as a new creature, I can't overcome it. But the law of the spirit of life, being filled with the spirit, walking in the spirit, or as Galatians 5 say, walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You won't do Romans 7. So uh, Romans 8, 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, you know, this is only true for believers, delivers me, frees me from the law of sin and death. I don't have to sin anymore. Why? Because I've been given the spirit whereby I may live uh, differently. Uh, Romans uh, 8, 9 You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So not only are we new creatures, but we have the Spirit of God in us. And then in verses uh, 10 through uh, 13 there, I believe it is. Yeah, there it is. It says, Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. I know I've gone over this in the past. But even as I'm looking at this, uh, the book and the commentary today, it's like people don't get it. Obviously, this body is not dead. So what is he trying to say? Well, it's dead because of sin. Ah, where's the law of sin? In my members, in this body. Okay? So... Here I am, a new creature, cannot overcome the law of sin by myself. The body is incapable of serving God the way God should be served. The body is dead because of sin. Contrast, the other half of the verse. Uh, But the spirit is life because of righteousness. So the spirit's given so that I might actually live unto God. Goes on, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, what does that mean? If you're saved. Okay, that, that's all that really means. <laughs> Long way to say it, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Now notice, what body is he bringing to life? The one that was dead because of sin, this body right here, the one that has the law of sin in it. He's not talking about the future resurrection. The book says that. He's not. Okay? Because at that point, I'm going to have not the body that has the law of sin in it. I'm going to have a new body. And the contrast here is with the body that I presently live in, the idea that someday I'm going to get a body where there's not going to be any sin doesn't help me in the battle against sin. The Spirit does help me in the battle against sin. Ah, so he gives life or he gives the capability to the new creature that's living in this body to overcome the law of sin and live unto God. And then... uh, Uh, verse 12 uh, and 13. So then, brothers, we're not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Again, 
This isn't, uh, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you don't need to do that when you get the resurrected body, right? No, he's talking about sanctification here and now. So if by the Spirit you live, or he gives life to your mortal bodies, you say no to sin and do the things that you ought to do, it says here, you will live. You know, Christ came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. A lot of Christians have life. When they die, they're going to heaven. You're going to live forever, praising Jesus and all that kind of stuff. Some learn how to live according to this and have abundant life. I came that they might have life and that may have it more abundantly. What does God want for you? Abundant life. And this is how we have it. We walk in the Spirit. We learn how to uh, do that. So that's uh, the practical matter uh, in, uh, of the legal matter. You're slaves of righteousness. You've been, uh, you're alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That brings us into point number two, the goal of the reckoning. This is Philippians 3.10. He starts out, that I may know him. Now, this is in the middle of a context. You can go back and look at the context a little bit more on your, at your leisure. Uh, I basically want to deal with, here's three things that Paul wants you to grasp so that you might truly get the whole living unto God type thing. First of all, knowing him. Uh, number one, by knowing him, we know the Father. In John 1.18, it says, no one has seen God at any time. The first time I read this verse, I'm sitting there going, Okay, I done read the Old Testament already. A bunch of people saw God. What are you talking about? Well, no one has seen God the Father at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. He has revealed Him. If you see Him, you see the Father. In fact, He says that in John 14, 7. If you have known Me, you would have known My Father also. And from now on, uh, you know Him and have seen Him. When did they see him? When they saw Jesus every day for about a year and a half. Maybe for three years, the first year and a half, they kind of off and on with him. And then after about a year and a half, they're with him all the time. Okay. They've seen Jesus. They've seen the Father. You want to know what the Father's like? You read John and find out what Jesus is like. Okay. And then, of course, uh, John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but what is the importance of knowing God? It's eternal life. A lot of people, they, they want to know about Jesus. They, when they look at God, they, they think Old Testament, he's mean. A lot of people killed. Uh, I was telling someone Monday, we're going through uh, Tozer's book, The Purpose of Man. And uh, the summation is the purpose of man is to worship God. Where the problem is, is in this day and age, what is worship? Well, it's that feeling you get when we sing the songs 15 times. Or maybe you're a little bit more spiritual and it's what happens when you're listening to the words. Kind of, dude, I didn't ever saw it like that before. Then we got to worship. No, worship is day by day, moment by moment, walking in a way that brings glory to God. Let your light so shine before men that they may 
uh, see your uh, good works. Good works are defined as those that are done in the power of the Spirit and glorify your Father in heaven. Uh, consecrate the Lord God in your heart and be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in you. Why would you be ready to give an answer? Because you're going to live differently in such a way that people are going to go, how come you're like that? Okay? Uh, that's worship. That's where God is God, and you're you. You're in the right position. You're looking to him. You're walking with him, and you're showing forth his character. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? Um, and so in, in talking about this, I said, you know, I think a bunch of Christians are going to get to heaven, and they're going to be shocked at how God defines holiness and that which is good and acceptable. Because so much of the things that we do as Christians, we don't understand that it's going to go through the fire. It's going to burn up. It's wood, hay, and stubble. You mean, you mean the immorality? No. I'm talking about teaching a Sunday school class in the power of the flesh. It's going to burn up. But I taught a Sunday school class, so... It's not the what you did, it's how you did it. The only way anything is good is as you are working, as Pastor said today, in synergy with the Holy Spirit. You're working in the power of the Spirit, therefore you've entered into rest, and you're able to enjoy knowing God. Okay, so to know him, we know the Father. Uh, number two, uh, known through his self-revelation in his word. That's how we get to know him. I mean, you can go out and look at a tree. I imagine you can gather some information that'll help you understand a little bit about God. I mean, all these systems work together. I love the picture that uh, goes through Facebook from time to time. Picture of a lung and then a picture of a tree. It's kind of like, they look a lot alike. You know, they kind of work together, you know. That's how God did it. Systems working together there. Uh, cardiovascular and the, uh, uh, the tree. Uh, this one breathes out CO2. Don't got to worry about that because the tree breathes it in, puts out oxygen, and we go, <gasps> thank you. You know, uh, and a bunch of systems like that working together. Yeah, you can get to know a little bit about God, but what does natural revelation give us? According to Romans chapter 1, natural revelation helps us understand there is a God. And wow, is he powerful? Okay? And it leaves you without excuse. That's all you can know about God. He's powerful. He's great. Awesome. And you're in trouble. Oh. <laughs> so we have to, if we're going to know God, we have to get back to his word. Uh, notice now, I put abiding in Christ purposely because so often we think of abiding in Christ and, okay, what does that mean? And uh, one place says that you got to keep his commandments. Well, where are his commandments found? In his word, right? Uh, in John 15, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. He's basically saying, if you will rest in who I am, what I've done for you and walk with me, how do you do that? In the Spirit. Oh, it kind of all ties together. You see what I'm saying? So let's take a look at some of the verses here. John 8, 31 says, And Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, 
you are my disciples indeed. And he goes on to say, uh, I think of the previous verse, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Okay, uh, John fifteen seven. if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, every now and again I drive over to Kansas City and on my way uh, get into St. Louis there and you see $385 million lottery. Okay, Lord, I'm going to abide in you and have your words abide in me. I want to win a ticket. No, if, you're, if his words are truly abiding in you, they will format the way you think. And you're going to be wanting, well, God has absolutely no problem giving you. You know, if you, if you won $385 million, I wonder how you would change. We'd all sit there and say, I wouldn't change. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Okay. Uh, so, of course, that's not one he's necessarily going to give to you. Uh, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 15. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, that's basically abide in me. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Oh, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, abide in his love. First John 2, 6. He who said he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. How did Jesus walk? Put one foot in front of... No, no. He walked in the Spirit all the time. He always walked in submission to his Father. He says, I'm not doing any work here. I, I do the things that I see my Father doing. These are not my words. These are what he's told me to tell you. Well, that's exactly how we're supposed to walk. Trusting in the Lord with all your heart, leaning not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledging him, and he directs your path. Okay, uh, how about First uh, John two fourteen? I have written to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you. Oh, strength comes through knowledge of God through His Word that's abiding in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Uh, verse twenty four. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. What is it that you heard from the beginning? Well, we can talk about the gospel. We can talk about the Creator, uh, the fall of man, uh, the redemption of man. All of those things. Where do, where do we find all that information? In the Word. Okay, we have to abide in what we've been taught. Uh, 3.24, now he who keeps his commandments abides, uh, abides in him and he in him. Ah, abiding in Christ means you're keeping his commandments. What are his commandments? Anybody remember? Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And your neighbor as yourself. In fact, it says three times that if you love your neighbor as yourself, you have fulfilled the whole law. You've demonstrated that you do love God, okay? But if you do that, you're abiding in him. Uh, and it goes on, uh, 2 John 1, 9. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. You know, one of the things that we uh, struggle with as Christians so often is we, um, we kind of mix a few things up. Here's one. Uh, how do you get saved? Well, you have to believe the gospel, Right? Um, do you realize that every day you have to believe the gospel? Uh, it's not something you did back here, boom, you're saved and everything's... No, you want to know how to overcome sin? Believe the gospel. W what do you mean? 
Well, first of all, Christ died for it, right? He, he died for all of our sins. And therefore, sin is no longer my master, right? He was buried. Oh, that's right. I was buried with him. He was raised again the third day. Oh, that's right. I was raised again with him to walk in newness of life. That's the sanctification process, applying the gospel to my everyday life. Okay? And um, so uh, looking at our outline again here, uh, direct, abide, or knowing through his self-revelation in his word is directly related to the fear of the Lord and wisdom. Now we're doing Proverbs on uh, Sunday evenings and we've looked at the fear of the Lord. I think it took us about four weeks to get through the fear of the Lord. And then the following week we looked at seeking and finding wisdom. And what we found was if you seek wisdom, you're going to find the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you continue to seek, you get the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wow. So again, it's all because you're in his word. Um, so directly related to the fear of the Lord and wisdom, that means honoring God as God and understanding your need for him. Proverbs 2.5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Hosea 4.1, hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Now, I don't know about you, but as I look around our country, can I say that that is a major problem? Um, I, I, I spend my share of time on social media just like some of you do. I'm not going to say many. I'm not going to say all. Uh, but uh, every now and again, a crash diaries will come across. They're even on Facebook. And it is absolutely amazing the road rage that happens because of a little misunderstanding and impatience. It's kind of like, you know, you give it a second, the guy would have been out of your way and you could have been on your way. And no, 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 there's no mercy. You cut me off and a subject, we're going to kill people for this. Okay, why? Because there is no knowledge of God. Okay, um, and unfortunately, every now and again, it's one of us that acts like that. Okay, uh, Hosea four one or four six six. Sorry about that. Hosea six six. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. What does God want from us? He wants us to know Him and be merciful to the people around us. Why? Because they're made just like you. They got that law of sin in their members. They're twisted, and sometimes they make stupid decisions, but what did you think was going to happen? Uh, Romans 11.33, Oh, the depths of the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. 2 Corinthians 10.5, am I there yet? Let me look at my outline here. Uh, nope, that's the next one. So uh, directly related to the fear of the Lord and wisdom. Wisdom is basically the skill to live in a godly manner. Uh, we already saw Proverbs 2.5, 2 Corinthians 10.5. Uh, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Uh, if we're going to walk in the Spirit and we're acknowledging Him in all of our ways... Uh, we're going to be not buying into every ideology that comes along, okay? 
Uh, I don't care if it's the government that's saying it or if it's a nice religious person. We're always going back and checking with the Lord and making sure that we're lining up with him uh, and not with whatever's coming down the pike. Uh, If we have a sin problem, uh, why did we choose the sin that we chose? Because we wanted what we wanted. Why did we want what we wanted? Because we didn't believe the truth about God, what he said he would provide for us if we would just seek him. Um, Very often when we choose sin, we think somehow we're going to get something from that that the Bible teaches only God can give. So in essence, we've become an idolater. Oh, so we're believing lies. That's why we sin. And so we're taking every uh, thought captive and bringing it into the obedience to Christ. Uh, So that's the skill to live in a godly manner. Colossians 1.10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then 2 Peter 1.3, as his divine power has given us Uh, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So that is uh, the skill to live in a godly manner. Uh, Also, uh, knowing him through his word is related to our sanctification. 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now, the context here is, When we're looking into the Word of God, we get to see the glory of Christ. And then it goes on. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. When I was uh, 16 years old, I was a very angry, bitter young man. My stepfather had made life, now I say unbearable, and I kind of laugh at it. But at the time, that's what it felt like. Okay, and I left home when I was 16, and any time I would talk about my stepfather, I would start trembling because of the anger and the bitterness. You know, what you think about a lot, you become like. And that's why he's saying, look in here. Look at the glory of the Lord and be transformed by the Spirit of God because you're looking at the mirror. This is what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, but I see that pimple. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of that. Okay? This is what it's supposed to look like. That's the idea there. Okay? So our sanctification is directly related to knowing him. Uh, also, our daily need for grace and peace. Now, Second uh, Peter uh, 1-2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We read over these verses because this is just the common greeting of the day. It really doesn't mean anything. I want you to understand something. It really does mean something. The more you know God, the more you experience grace and peace. Well, something bad's happening. Mm-hmm. God will take care of it. I don't know about you, but when I was younger in Christ, something bad's happening. And I'd get all anxious and ready to rip heads off and whatever, you know. And now, yeah, it'll get taken care of. Why? Because I've walked with him and I've learned about him. I see how he works. And, oh, this is just one more little test. God will get us through it. Now, I'm not saying I get it right all the time. Believe me. The flesh never changes, and as long as it's there, let your guard down for a second. 
you're going to respond the way you always used to, okay? Because again, the flesh does not change. But as we are looking into the Word and getting to know God, we change where it's demonstrable, okay? And then, of course, uh, our purpose uh, of evangelism. In 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 4, and 5, it says, uh, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in uh, demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And your faith, uh, that your faith should not be in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, I'll be honest with you. Uh, what if they ask you about, did, did Jonah get eaten by a whale or a, a big fish? Yes. <laughs> uh, I always tell everybody it's a whale shark. That way it's a fish, but it's still a whale. I don't know. Um, the reality is, is I have a lot of the answers that people raise questions for. And you can talk till you're blue in the face with all the answers in the world. And if the Spirit of God doesn't do something in their heart, having all those answers is not going to... So your trust really has to be when you're witnessing to people is it's the Spirit of God. So, so I can love them even though... They keep on asking these stupid questions. <laughs> the reality is they're not going to believe any of your answers until they get saved anyway, so uh, nothing to worry about there. So our purpose of evangelism. Also, First uh, Corinthians 15, 34. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Awake to righteousness. Do not sin. Uh, that's basically walk in the Spirit. Don't walk in the flesh. When we walk in the flesh, we give the world reasons to say, yeah, they're no different than I am. Why would I come to Christ? Hmm. So our purpose of evangelism. Letter B, that I may know the power of his resurrection. Now, in your Bible, it says, and the power of his resurrection. It still comes down to the desire is to know the power of his resurrection. According to Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, Excuse me. One, four. It says, uh, let me start in verse three. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh, and who has been declared to be the powerful son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. Now, uh, your version may say he was declared to be the son of God with power through the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness where the power belongs, I'm not too worried about. But notice, his resurrection proves that he is God. Okay? Now, why is that important? Well, go around to a variety of churches. Uh, you guys are over there visiting First Baptist. Uh, ask a few people, uh, why should God let you into heaven? And here's what the standard answer is going to be. Because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Now, they know the other half of the story. But we get hung up on, he died for me, isn't that wonderful? Yeah, it is, but it's not good enough to get you to heaven. Because if all he did was die, then he's just another religious leader. Now, I only use you guys because you're someplace else. We've talked about this a lot here. Hopefully, you wouldn't get that answer. I'm not saying you wouldn't because as a missionary appointee, I went around to a lot of Bible-preaching churches, gospel-preaching churches, and asked, why should God let him? Well, what is the gospel? And, well, it's the Word of God. 
Well, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, it's the good news. And it was finally a woman. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, was buried, rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the full gospel. If he doesn't rise from the dead, we above all people are without hope. Okay? So it proves that he is God. And then according to Romans 4.25, and being uh, delivered up for our transgressions, and he was raised for our justification. So sin's been paid for. But it's through the resurrection. You go to Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, not that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Isn't that interesting? Raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So uh, uh, why, uh, why uh, his resurrection? Important? Yes, because it proves that he is God. And then, of course, uh, number two, positional resurrection gives power to live as God designed. What? Well, Romans 6 gives us our position in Christ. Uh, notice it, it's not our condition, how we've done lately, okay? Because some days we do pretty good. Other days, just shoot me and get it over with type thing, you know? I mean, I, I remember a couple years ago, I had a young man from the church here come and work with me in, in the garage. By the end of the week, I wasn't sure if I was saved because my response to him was, well, my stepfather's response to me <laughs> growing up, because that's what I learned, you know. And I, I was so frustrated. and <laughs> At the end of the week, I'm sitting there going, I haven't changed in 20-some-odd years. Well, at that time, it was 35 years. Uh, no, I, I have changed. I just wasn't doing the work in the garage in the power of the Spirit. I was doing it in the power of the flesh. And like I say, the flesh does not change. Um, for you wives, if your husband ever has a, a meltdown, well, for you husbands, if your wife ever has a meltdown, uh, and they act like they did when they were younger, well, that's just the flesh. The flesh does not change. Why is that important? Because we have this tendency to think, you're 40 years old in the Lord, you should be different. Believe me, I am, but I have to be walking in the Spirit. If I'm walking in the flesh, like I say, a few years ago, at the end of the week, I was wondering if I was saved. <laughs> uh, but uh, so when we look at this here, positional resurrection, this is what God says is true about you because you've been baptized into Christ, okay? And positional resurrection gives power to live as God designed. 6.4, Romans 6.4, it says, uh, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. May means there's still some deciding that has to be done there, but the capacity to do it is now available. Okay? Uh, chapter 7 and verse uh, 4 uh, says... Therefore, my brothers, you were also put to death in relation to the law through the crucified body of the Messiah, so that, this is the purpose, you may belong to another, uh, to, him who raised, uh, who, to him who raised from the dead, uh, who was raised from the dead, sorry about that, that we may bear fruit to God. The capacity, again, is now there to live as God designed. Um, oh, I missed one in 613. 6.13 says, 
And do not offer any parts uh, of it, uh, of your mortal body, uh, to sin as weapons of unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. Um, Chapter 8, verse 2, I already covered. 10 through 13, I already covered. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 uh, says, uh, But we have this treasure in her earthen vessels. This is the earthen vessel. What treasure? Well, you've got to read your context, but it's going to talk about your salvation. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So I have the Spirit of God living in me so that I can live in such a way that people will see the excellency of the power of God and not say, oh, you're just a religious person. No, they're going to say, why are you like that? Why do you do it that way? 1 Peter 3.15, okay? Uh, 12.9, 2 Corinthians 12.9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast of my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know, uh, one of the difficulties that the church suffers from over the years is we don't want anybody to know where we struggle. I I have to hide it from you. I I have to put on the airs that I'm doing okay. Um... One of the reasons why some people struggle with me is because I tell you where I've struggled. I remember giving my testimony years ago, and uh, I was—I think I was back from Brazil at the time—and I talked about how I got saved. I was really into pornography at the time. I get saved, so I had my Bible on one side of my desk, my Bible and my Bible dictionary, and I had my Playboy and penthouse on the other side of the desk, and. Um, in, in talking about that, one guy come up to me later, he goes, you know, if you had mentioned Playboy or Penthouse one more time, I was going to take my family and get out of the church. Like, Why? Well, that's just not... Uh, n- See what I'm saying? I-, I was just being honest. These are things I struggled with. And uh, it took a few years of being saved before the struggle diminished. And then a few more years before... It diminished a little bit more. Uh, it shapes your thinking. And the master of lust doesn't just step down and say, okay, well, you know, you're saved. I won't bother you anymore. No, hey, goes with you for a long time. And uh, some people don't like that. Why? Because we all got it together. We don't want anybody to think that we don't. Kind of like, why? Paul says, I glory in my infirmities, in my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of God may rest upon me. His grace is sufficient. I need it. Let me tell you, I struggle. That's basically what he's saying. Okay? He's not trying to hide it. Um, 13.4, 2 Corinthians 13.4, And though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. In other words, he was raised again by the power of God. He's alive. For we also are weak in him. But we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Now, notice, I don't think he's talking future. He's talking about right now. I am going to live uh, in him. Let me, there it is. <coughs> I shall live with him by the power of God towards you. See, when we're all glorified, I'm not going to need the power of God to be nice to you. It's just going to come natural. But now, 
Some of y'all are irritating. None of you, though. It's the people that aren't here tonight. No. <laughs> yeah, I know that I rub people the wrong way. That's why we need the power of God. It amazes how many, how many people in the church are at odds with one another. And forgiveness? How hard is forgiveness? Well, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you and he comes to you and he repents, ah, let's redefine repentance so that I don't have to forgive him. You have to change. Doesn't say that. In the context of Luke 17, it goes on to say, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day comes back and repents. In other words, he acknowledged that he did wrong. His life hasn't changed yet. He's still living in Romans chapter 7, doing it the wrong way over and over and over and over again. And he comes to you seven times and acknowledges, yeah, I blew it again. You know what you got to do? You got to forgive him seven times. Yeah, but I don't feel like it. And, and the, the, the apostles, they even sat there and said, oh, give us faith. He goes, it's not a matter of faith. It's a matter of obedience. And yet I'll do marriage counseling with Christians that have been saved for years and it's that one's fault. Forgive them. Nope. Because they're just going to do it again. Tell me about your life with Jesus. You know? You got it right. Never do it again. No, it, it, it doesn't work that way. Hey, uh, Romans 6.10, uh, the beginning of the uh, passage on spiritual warfare, if you will. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Okay, and then uh, for 2 Thessalonians 1.11. Therefore, we also pray always for you that uh, our God would count you worthy of his calling. And he's talking about condition there because positionally they are worthy. But he's, he's hoping that they're actually living it out and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and uh, the work of faith with power. So he's looking for God's power to actively be involved in their lives in the day-to-day. Okay, uh, so position uh, gives, positional resurrection gives power to live as God designed. Uh, number three, power for evangelism. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you're going to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. First uh, Corinthians 2.4, uh, and my speech and my preaching were not with the persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 4-7, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, and so on and so on and so forth. Down to verse 7, he says, um, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. So he's ministering to people with all of the difficulties that come in it through the power of God. Uh, Ephesians 3, 7. Of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So uh, why was Paul an apostle? Because of the work of God and the effective working of his power in his life. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. And in the Holy Spirit, in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So it's uh, knowing God is related to our purpose of evangelism. 
Let, uh, letter B, that I may know the power of his resurrection. Did I get off of these things? Yes, I did. Okay, power of evangelism. I just covered that. Positional uh, will be reality at the rapture. The positional truth that I'm dead with Christ, buried with Christ, raised with Christ, that's going to be a reality at the rapture. 1 Corinthians, where am I? I can't find it right now. Uh, let me turn the page. 1 Corinthians 3, I don't know where it is. Um, how about 15? There we go. I know I downloaded, oh, there they are. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. You know, think about it the next time you struggle with temptation. He is able to subdue all things unto himself. Which means that temptation, when submitted to him, he's able to bring it into subjection. Okay? So it will be a reality at the rapture when we get a new body and uh, the law of sin will not be there. Hallelujah. And then let her see that I may know the uh, fellowship of his sufferings. Now, here's a topic we don't like to talk about very much because... Life is difficult enough. Let's not add suffering to it. Oh, no, that's because it's difficult. Well, certain sufferings are okay. Others we're not really interested in. Uh, okay. Notice, um, no fellowship with the Lord or growth in the Lord uh, happens without suffering. Uh, physical, mental, spiritual. Uh, physical suffering, um, be anxious for nothing. But in all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request be known unto God, right? Um, that, anxiety is mental suffering, okay? God tells you how to deal with it. And if you deal with it, you're going to have fellowship with. If you don't deal with it, you're probably going to be kept from that fellowship with the Lord, okay? Um, let me see. Uh, Physical, well, I, I tripped on the floor the other day. You know, we, we laugh about Joe Biden tripping up the stairs. That just means he's not getting married this year, okay? I walked into the school the other day for Sunday school and put my foot down just a little bit quicker than I th should have and, and tripped. Well, in the process, this knee's been bothering me since June. Kind of like I twisted it, but I, I didn't. It just all of a sudden said, hi, we're here, and we're here to stay, now, I'll go to the gym, and I'll be doing leg presses, my fourth set of 20, 500, 600 pounds. Doesn't bother me at all. Don't have to wear a brace or anything. But walking, it's kind of, oh, man. <laughs> uh, physical suffering. Now, that's just because pastor is getting old. I figure if I'm getting old, he's getting old, too. So uh, it's just part of living in a fallen world, right? There's other types of physical suffering that many of our brothers and sisters around the world struggle with, actual persecution, okay? And then, of course, spiritual. Uh, if you have struggled with any particular kind of sin for any length of time, you recognize, man, the enemy, he just knows right where to hit me every single time. 
okay? In fact, in Romans chapter 7, if you read it careful, you can see that Paul is, man, the things I want to do, those are the things I don't do. The things that I hate, those are the things, I, the spiritual suffering, okay? Uh, notice uh, top of the next page, Christ's example in uh, John 13, 15, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done uh, to you. Now, in that particular case, he's washing feet, he's serving, uh, but again, even within that, you're going to find some suffering. Philippians 2, 2 to 9, uh, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Yeah, but they're not better than me. In fact, if anything, I'm pretty sure I'm better than most of them. That's where our problem comes in. Uh, notice the next verse. Um, let each of you... Uh, Look out not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being God, didn't think it was something that he had to grasp and say, hey guys, I'm God. No, right here. You know, he didn't have to do that. But he humbled himself and he became a servant. He was formed in fashion as a slave in essence. And he submitted himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So um, that's his example. First uh, Peter 2, 21 to 23. Uh, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, someone blames me for something I didn't do, and I just want to go in there and smack him. Yeah, that's not following the example. Okay, uh, 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Uh, 4.1, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And then Hebrews 12.3, for consider him, again, the thought processes, who, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Uh, suffering definitely will cause you to be wearied and, and uh, discouraged. Well, you got to have the right mindset. What was the mindset that Christ had? I'm here to serve at God's leisure. And if it means going through this, then that's what I'm going to do. Lord, if there's any other way that this cup can pass from me, Please, let it be so, but not my will, your will be done. So that's Christ's example. And then, of course, we've been called to suffer for his namesake. John 15, 19 and 20. Five, uh, 19 and 20. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Well, isn't that wonderful? I didn't do anything to them. Yeah, you didn't, but you are the scent of death to them. They hate you. 
Okay? Remember the word uh, that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. John 16, 1 to 4. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be uh, made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming when whoever kills you will think that he has offered God uh, service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you remember that I told you them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. In other words, I would have protected you, but I'm going to be gone, so it's going to happen. John 17, 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Acts 9, 16, for I will show him, God speaking about Paul, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Philippians 1, 29, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. So we've been called to suffer. I don't like that. Well, notice, suffering bears fruit. And again, this is basically out of the book. Uh, spiritual growth, learning more of him, learning the needs of others. Uh, let me give you a few verses here. Uh, Romans uh, 5, uh, 3 to 5. says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions and our suffering because we know that a, a affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Uh, Hebrews 12, 5 says, uh, 5 to 7, and you, have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. How does God chasten us? Why does God chasten us? You know, sometimes the consequences of your sin are his chastening. And sometimes he brings people into your life. Could be a wife, a husband, children, a boss, a stepfather. Okay, but again, the purpose of the chastening, let's see. It says, uh, Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And then in verse 10, For they indeed for a few days, human fathers chasten their children for a few days, uh, they chasten us as seems best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. You know, that chastening includes the trials that we go through, that ultimately we learn something from and change because we've learned something. Okay? 1 Peter 1.7, that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, the concept here is that the trials that you go through, the suffering that you endure, the things that God is doing to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ, um, it is to prove that your faith is real. And so you go through those things, 
and it refines the faith. And someday when you see him, it's going to be to the praise and and honor uh, and glory of him, at which point there's reward for that, which we'll talk about in a few moments. James 1, 2, and 3, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Verses 19 through 22 of the same chapter. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. This is how you're supposed to react in the midst of trials. Be swift to hear. What's God trying to say to you? Slow to speak. Stop complaining about it. Slow to wrath. Don't get angry. Okay? Yeah, it don't feel good. You're suffering. Don't get angry because your anger, your wrath is not going to do anything that is righteous. But it goes on to say, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Now, whole purpose here is the, the trial, it shows you what's in your heart. Uh, when the young man was working with me in my garage, and by the end of the week, I was doubting my own salvation. Why? Because what was in my heart? I just told you clearly, this is oak. This is pine. Put the oak over there, the pine in the garbage. What do you do? You put the oak in the garbage and put the pine. What's in my heart? I must be in control. Not love, not patience. Control. Do it the way I told you or else. Okay? And so you're supposed to analyze your response, and here's what you're supposed to do. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Can I tell you, I had some repenting to do at the end of that week. I already did it. (laughs) Which is able to save your souls and be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. That's how we're supposed to respond to chastening, to the trials, to the difficulties, okay? Spiritual growth. Learning more of him. In uh, 2 Corinthians 1.5, it says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. So the more we suffer and learn how to walk with him in the midst of that suffering, the more we understand about him, and then also learning the needs of others. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation and our suffering, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So we go through the trial. God comforts us. And then we see someone else going through the trial and we come alongside and and share with them that comfort. Uh, I'm involved in a, a few different discipleship opportunities. And some of these guys are going through things that I've never been through. <laughs> uh, not directly. Um, but when it comes to spiritual walk with the Lord, they're all where I've been. And I'm able to start showing them stuff from the Word of God Oh, they're putting two and two together. And, and now, how many times do they need to be told? More than once. <laughs> okay, more than once. Because life happens in the meantime between our meetings. And they see where maybe their response wasn't totally right. And 
they need uh, help along the way. But that's what happens when we go through trials. We learn more about God, and we also learn about how to handle, help others in their needs also. And then number three, rewards for suffering with him. Uh, Romans 8.17 uh, says... Uh, right there. Uh, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, in, in the context, the suffering that has gone on is this conflict between the new creature and the law of sin in the members. In other words, the difficulty of living the Christian life in this fallen world. Persecution isn't mentioned for another 17 verses or so. Persecution is another form of suffering, okay? But if we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. We'll also share in his glory because we're suffering with him, okay? Uh, 2 Timothy 2.12, that's the one I think I meant. No, there it is. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Forget about that second half. Go and study it yourself. There's more to it than just, oh, I'm in trouble. Uh, 1 Peter 2.20. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you, have take it, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Uh, the idea is God takes pleasure in you doing it right. Okay, First uh, Peter 3.14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. You are happy. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're suffering because you did something right, happy is not usually our first response, right? It's usually a response that later on we start thinking about. It's kind of like, yeah, yeah, praise the Lord. He got me through it, and I did what was right, so I can be happy. <laughs> but uh, get that mindset armed, and maybe we can do it in the midst of it. 4.12 through 14, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which, you are, uh, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. And then Roman, uh, James 1.12, Oh, how very happy is the man who endures trials. Now, your version probably says temptation. The word for temptation and trial is exactly the same. In the first 12 verses of James chapter 1, it is a trial. It doesn't become a temptation until verse 13. When it says, let no man say when he is tried, I am tempted of God. No, a person is tempted when they're drawn away of their own lust and enticed, and they go through that process, okay? So, oh, how very happy is the man that endures trials, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. How's he going to get through it? He loves God, okay? So, we are rewarded for our suffering. And that brings us to the last point here, being conformed to his death, uh, According to Psalm 44, 22, Romans 8, 36, 1 Corinthians 15, 31, 2 Corinthians 4, 11. Let me just read one of them. Yet for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Now, in Paul's version of that, 
in uh, Romans and first, well, and second Corinthians, uh, you, you understand that he's, he's willing to die to himself so that he might be able to minister to other people. Oh. Why is that such an issue? Because other people can be a royal pain in the tush. And when our flesh gets in the way, who are you willing to die for? Now, oh, that brings us back to we are being conformed to his death. We know, his, we know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, so that we can go through this process of being conformed to his death. We're always delivered unto death, and we're taking up our cross daily. Luke 9, 23, he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, 2, 5, and 7, and 8. But made himself of no reputation, taking upon himself the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So the goal, when we, when we reckon ourselves to be dead unto sin and alive unto God, the goal is that we might know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, because we are being conformed unto his death. God's called us to die unto ourselves, take up our cross, deny ourselves, follow him. And uh, with all of that, there are future rewards to be had. Uh, we have a prayer request for Julie. Uh, she's got to go back in for surgery next week. Uh, we still have a little baker with pneumonia. Um, uh, Versi, 24th, she will have a scan done, and hopefully they will find that she's in complete remission. Pray in that direction. Uh, anybody else? Yes, sir. Uh, Bart, let me know that Carolyn McIntosh's family contacted her and asked for a prayer for Carolyn. Who is in ER? And uh, there was some, I guess, talk or counseling for uh, hospice. Okay. So. Well, Carolyn's getting up there. Yeah. So, okay, pray for Carolyn. Anybody else? Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, a few of you can pray, and I'll close this. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. I appreciate and give you thanks for each and every person here. They are not here by accident. They are here to hear your word and to absorb your word and to put your word into practice. Father, our desire tonight, our humble desire tonight is that you would restore my daughter to where she was before this kidney thing came up. And with this surgery, please give her patience and rest and comfort and allow the skilled surgeons give them peace and grace and comfort as they perform this surgery. We pray for this precious baby, Everly, that she will heal and recover. We pray for Mercy. We pray for Carolyn. We pray for everybody who couldn't be here tonight. Thank you and hopefully that they are, they are safe and sound. 
I want to thank you for those children who are in Awana tonight. They are hearing your word. They are reciting your words. And I want to thank you for the teachers who are volunteering to go in there and teach those children that. Thank you and we give you praise for that. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Israel, particularly those who don't yet understand that you are the Messiah. You are their Savior. So Lord, we, 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 our humble request is that you open their ears, their eyes, and their heart to understand who you are and to accept who you are. Lord, our request also is to protect our men and women in uniform. Put a hedge of protection around them. They are in peril all over the world. A special request is for, for John Grubb, who is currently deployed someplace in the Mediterranean on some, some ship that we don't know the name of. He willingly puts on the uniform every day so that we can come here and do this. So Lord, please protect those men and women. We ask that. Protect our first responders, our policemen, our firemen, our EMTs. And Lord, please continue to show grace and mercy and wisdom to our pastors as they minister to us. So Lord, we ask this in Jesus' beautiful, precious, wonderful, powerful name. Amen. I would also like to uh, bring to you not only uh, my dear sister, Marilyn McIntosh, but her family as they go uh, through this with her. We know that your grace is sufficient, but may they experience it, give them the discernment and direction on which way to go. But then again, uh, may they know your presence in their lives. Father, we are so thankful for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We recognize that these bodies will break down little by little and ultimately bring what we call death. But we know that because of who Christ is and what he's done on our behalf and what you have done in bringing us to the knowledge of truth, um, we get to go and be in your presence. We get to be changed and glorified and experience uh, joy everlasting. With that in mind, we recognize that our sister Carolyn may be passing through the valley of the shadow of death here before long. I thank you, Lord, for the example that she has been to many women throughout the years, uh, the ministry that she has had with her husband. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that uh, she has as far as being able to see him again. I recognize that he won't be her husband, but uh, to see those happy, familiar faces. I uh, pray, Father, for the family that you would grant to them grace and comfort at this time. And I know that she's going home to hospice. Doesn't mean uh, this week or next. Could be months. But uh, uh, through this whole process that you would uh, grant to them uh, grace and peace and uh, that they would be able to examine uh, their own walk with you and uh, learn to enjoy it more. Father, for Julie, as she uh, struggles with what must be a frustrating situation with this uh, next surgery, I pray, Lord, that you might grant to her peace. 
give her grace to uh, relax and uh, allow you to be God. Uh, pray for her, her doctors that you give them steady hands, good knowledge, understanding, and they'd be able to accomplish what they're trying to accomplish there. Lord, most of all, we ask that you might provide a kidney uh, that would match hers and that she would be able to get past all of the dialysis and stuff like that. Father, we thank you for the good report on Versi. Pray that as she gets her scan, that uh, her cancer will have gone into full remission. And pray, Father, that it would stay that way. Uh, we look forward to her coming back and uh, joining us again uh, in fellowship. Uh, we do pray for Everly and for her family. We pray for the Ansons and uh, the Cushmans as they have dealt with the loss of Natalie. Uh, pray for Everly that you would strengthen her body and give her grace as she goes through her uh, chemo and radiation. And Lord, that uh, uh, she might come through this alive and well. Father, again, we thank you for little Baker and pray that you put your healing hand upon him as he takes these antibiotics, that you would cause them to work and get rid of the bacterial uh, pneumonia in his body and that he would be able to breathe well and not have the fever any further. Thank you again for all that you've done for us. We, we recognize, Lord, truly we need you every hour, every moment. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to work in our hearts and open our minds to um, the mind of Christ. Uh, because we have it, um, we don't always access it. We might, uh, in all our ways, acknowledge you and that you would direct our paths. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you again. Uh, Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday. Depends on